This Choircast podcast is brought to you by the book Drugs and Jesus by Josh Lawson. It's no secret that churches are stumbling in the dark when they look for ways to effectively serve people who use drugs. As the death toll of accidental drug overdose continues to rise across our country at an alarming rate, Christians are struggling to connect their faith with this urgent and holy work. Faith-based activists are attempting to bridge the gap, but so far, their message has been confined to socially progressive circles. Drugs and Jesus is the first book of its kind to pioneer a theological framework for people of faith, and especially evangelical Christians, to help them engage in the ministry of harm reduction. Drawing from my own groundbreaking efforts to equip faith communities at the epicenter of America's rural opioid crisis, Drugs and Jesus takes readers on a journey of theological and practical transformation that will help them learn how to better serve the most vulnerable members of their community, all without having to become experts in the field of addiction or theology. Drugs and Jesus releases from Choir Publishing on April the 11th. Don't miss it. Hey everybody, this is Steve Hindelung, drummer of the Choir and the Lost Dogs. I don't always have a second cup of coffee, but when I do, I prefer to have a second cup with Keith. Hello and welcome to Second Cup with Keith. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a very confusing verse of scripture that I know has confounded a whole lot of people as they're reading through 1 Timothy, and they come across what seems to be a very puzzling statement from the Apostle Paul. What we need to look at is this verse in 1 Timothy, and if you've ever come across it, it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 15, and here's the verse. Paul says, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. It's one of the weirdest verses in the whole Bible. I think we'd have to admit it. So the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, reminds him to encourage the women who were there in the church in Ephesus not to adorn their hair or to wear expensive clothing. Also says something about how he doesn't permit a woman to teach. But we come across this verse here and it's a real head-scratcher, isn't it? Women will be saved through childbearing. So what's going on here? Before I go into what the verse actually means, I need to point out that this verse does not teach that women who bear children will be saved. That doesn't make any sense, of course. I think that's what the confusion comes from, is that, well, wait a minute. I thought men and women both were saved by their faith in Christ. It's not as if Men are saved through their faith in Christ, but women are saved if they bear children. And believe it or not, I've heard some very smart, otherwise intelligent Bible teachers teach this. They're trying to take it at face value, and they think that what Paul is saying is that women are somehow, that their salvation is contingent upon their bearing children or fulfilling their wifely duties or things like that. I just want to affirm that that is not what is being taught here, especially because I know a lot of wonderful Christian women who love Jesus and have incredible faith and amazing ministries to people in their community who are single, or that they're married but can't have children or just have chosen not to have children. And I know that a verse like this can be used and probably has been used, along with some other verses in Scripture, to make those women feel less than, to make them feel like failures, to make them feel as if they haven't fulfilled their purpose as women in the body of Christ. And I just want to say absolutely not. Whether or not a woman bears children, as wonderful as that might be, has nothing to do with their salvation. 
and has nothing to do with personal worth or value in the kingdom of God. So I hope right off the bat, we can just take that off the table. That is not at all what we should get from this verse. And as we begin to dig into what Paul really is talking about, I think it'll become very, very clear why this verse isn't saying anything at all. Women are somehow saved by their childbearing or their value is found in their childbearing and things like this. Now that we've talked about what the verse does not mean, let's talk about what it does mean. So it's a bit of a puzzle, which is one of the reasons why I love this, because I love puzzles and mysteries and things like that. Well, there are a couple of clues that we need to pay attention to if we're going to kind of crack the code on what's going on here in First Timothy. So the first thing you need to notice at the very beginning of the book of First Timothy is that Paul is writing a letter. That's what this is. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Apostle Timothy, who he has instructed to stay behind in the city of Ephesus. So that's our first clue, is that we are at Paul is addressing and encouraging Timothy to address the church that was meeting in Ephesus at the time. So why is that significant? Well, if you do any kind of research on church history and that time in history, so around the first century, the clue is that the city of Ephesus was known for something. And what Ephesus was known for is the temple to Artemis. In fact, it was considered, of course, it doesn't exist anymore, but at one time, the temple to Artemis was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the gorgeous, huge, and amazing structure and feat of architecture in the ancient world. But what we're interested in is that detail. So we know that Artemis worship was really a big deal in Ephesus. We know that not only through ancient history and church history, but we actually can see an example of just how strong the Artemis worship really was if we turn to the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 19, we notice that as Paul and the other apostles are traveling through Ephesus and are preaching the gospel in Ephesus, there are craftsmen who live in the city of Ephesus, and they make a living creating idols and selling trinkets and things that are related to the shrine of the Temple of Artemis that was in the city of Ephesus. And in sort of a protest against Paul and the other apostles for preaching a different theology, a different god than Artemis in Ephesus, they stir up a mob. And we see this in Acts chapter 19, starting verse 28 through verse 34. And what we see happens is that the craftsmen stir up a mob, a giant mob, who chant for two solid hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. So let's just wrap our minds around that. When we think of Ephesus, what should come to our minds? Well, Ephesus was the center of Artemis worship. Okay, so that's our first clue. Now, if we just dig a little bit, even just go online, I invite you to do this if you're curious, search Artemis worship and the temple of Artemis, and here's what you'll find. These are the distinctives of uh, Artemis worship. So this is what would have been going on in the city of Ephesus. Number one, Artemis is a female cult. Women, primarily, would worship Artemis, and here's how they would do it by adorning their hair with ribbons and jewelry and dressing in expensive clothes. Paul's statement in Timothy 
we have a little bit of context, don't we? When Paul says that he doesn't want women in the church in Ephesus to wear makeup and adorn their hair and dress in these extravagant clothes, it has nothing to do with whether or not women wearing nice clothing, jewelry, or makeup is bad. It's not that by itself is something sinful or evil. Not at all. It's that Paul's concern was that any woman in Ephesus, specifically, who was dressing that way, especially when they went into a time of worship, religious observance, were sending a signal. And they were sending the signal, whether that was intentional or not, they were sending a signal by dressing that way and adorning themselves that way that they honored Artemis. And so this is what Paul is against. This is why Paul is giving Timothy the instruction to speak to the church in Ephesus, encouraging women not to dress that way. So that's the first clue. And so the other thing that we need to notice is that, I guess just a detail that we need to keep in mind, is that especially in the first century in that part of the world, having a childbirth in itself was very dangerous, right? In other words, the mortality rate for both children and women was pretty high, meaning sometimes the child would die quite often, either as part of the birthing process or soon after the birthing process. And sometimes even the women themselves would die in giving birth. We know this. They didn't have the medicines that we have or the procedures and the techniques that we have to alleviate the pain or to handle complications to the pregnancy. And so it was pretty likely at that time that at least one, either the mother or the child, perhaps both, might not survive the experience of childbirth. And so you can imagine this would bring a whole lot of anxiety, right, to women at the time who got pregnant and found out they were pregnant and suddenly began to worry, could I die through the process of giving birth or would my child survive? And so one of the major things that Artemis promised to women who honored her was that Artemis would protect the mother and the child through the birthing process. This is the one of the primary motivations for women in Ephesus to adorn their hair and wear makeup and wear these extravagant clothing, especially when they're pregnant, just as a sort of a, a protection in their minds. If I do this, if I honor Artemis, Artemis will protect me and my child through childbirth. And so what Paul wants to do here in Timothy, right? Hopefully you can see it all starting to come into focus, what's really going on. Paul wants to assure Christian women in the church in Ephesus that they and their children will be saved through the childbearing process, meaning they will survive it. They will not die through the process of childbearing if they would simply be faithful to Christ, put their hope and their trust in God and not in Artemis. And therefore, Paul is saying, they don't need to adorn their hair or wear elaborate clothing to appease Artemis so that they would be protected. They don't need to do that. Why? Because as he's wanting Timothy to encourage them, Christ will be their protection. If we keep this in mind and we go back and reread the passage, knowing what we know about Artemis worship, knowing what we know about the dangers of the birthing process at that time, knowing that Ephesus was the center of Artemis worship, knowing that how women worshipped Artemis, the ways that they did so, and the reasons why that they would do such a thing. Now let's read that verse again in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. And he says, But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, 
and holiness with propriety. And so now suddenly, I don't know if I need to spell it out for you. Hopefully you've got it. But just in case, I'm just going to say it. What Paul is saying there is, hey, women at the church in Ephesus, you and your child will not die as you give birth. You'll be, quote, saved through childbearing. Understand now what that means. It's not by giving birth, you'll be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to the women, you will not die as you're giving birth. You'll be saved even as you give birth, saved through the childbearing process. If you continue in faith and love and holiness with propriety, in other words, as you continue to place your hope in Christ, and you don't need to sort of hedge your bets or play the odds and say, Jesus is great for all these other parts of my life. But hey, when it comes to my pregnancy, when it comes to giving birth and my child and all that, and my own life being in danger through giving birth, I'm going to just place a bet on Artemis just in case. I'm going to make sure Artemis knows I honor Artemis also. So again, it's more about Paul wanting those Christians in Ephesus place completely immersed in Artemis worship, and you can't get away from it. I mean, you can see the reaction of people just as Paul and the apostles are preaching the gospel in Ephesus. Two-hour mob chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. These people took their Artemis worship very, very seriously. So this was a huge deal. This is a big problem for that church in Ephesus. And so this is why Paul had to write a specific letter with specific instructions to Timothy for how to handle these kinds of things. And so this is an example of the kinds of things that are in the Bible where we can turn in our English translations of the Bible and we can read a sentence if we don't have the sort of historical context, cultural context, and even beyond that, sometimes our New Testament translations aren't the best. There are certain ways certain words are translated that are not very helpful. In other words, they make it almost impossible for us to understand what's really going on, what's really being said there. And so I get it. I really feel for the average Christian who just wants to get a reliable copy of the New Testament or the Bible in English and be able to read that as part of their devotional or even in their Bible study, if they're going to teach a Sunday school class or something, or preach a sermon. And this is a challenge because there are verses like this that on face value seem to be saying one thing, and we go, wow, what does that mean? And then we end up twisting ourselves into a pretzel trying to make sense of it as best we can. And I will say also, I don't know that I've ever read a study Bible that had the proper notes in it that explain everything I just explained to you here. If such one exists, I haven't come across it. And so, again, you're kind of just left on your own to figure these things out. Now, I have included more on this topic in some of my other books. My book, Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. I cover this passage and, and many others. And looking at examples of places where in our English Bibles, words are changed or translated incorrectly. Some words are left out and some words are added in the original Greek don't belong there. And so I can understand that it makes it really, really challenging. But hopefully, when it comes to this particular passage, having the historical context, having the cultural context, understanding Artemis worship and how Artemis worship was done, that it's primarily done by women, and it's done specifically to protect the woman and the child through childbearing, verses like this now will make sense to you. Hopefully, this is very, very helpful for you. 
I would also recommend, if you really like to dig into Paul and the ways that Paul looks at women, there's a wonderful book by my friend John Zenz called What's With Paul and Women? And it goes into even more detail about this passage with many, many more references than I can cover here in this, this short little podcast about how many of Paul's statements about women have been taken out of context or just misunderstood over the centuries. Hopefully this was helpful for you. And thank you so much for spending time with me here on Second Cup with Keith. I look forward to more episodes in the future. If there are specific things that you'd like me to cover, contact me. Let me know. I'm available on Facebook and Twitter and also on Instagram. And you can read my blog at keithgiles.com, which is available on Patheos. But if you go to keithgiles.com, you'll find it there. Thank you for listening. I really have enjoyed this time with you, and I look forward to sitting down again with a second cup and discussing things that matter to you, that are important to you, and hopefully things that help you along in your journey of following Christ. Thanks.